0: This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network.
1: Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of I Know That Face, the only podcast, which honors the often and appreciated by the masses' work of character actors. I'm Stephen Porzio. I'm Andrew Carroll we're back after our summer break talking about top dollar himself, Michael Wincott. Andrew, run down his history.
0: Michael Wincott was born in Toronto in 1958. He studied drama at Victoria University before moving to New York to study acting at Juilliard. He spent his early career in his native Canada, appearing in TV movies, series and, and the occasional film. His American breakthrough came in the Oliver Stone film Talk Radio in which he played Kent, reprising his role from the Eric Borgosian play upon which the film is based. In 1991, he played Guy of Gisborne in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, beginning a long run of bewigged and bewitching villains with bizarre names. These include (laughs) Top Dollar in The Crow, Philo Gant in Strange Days, and Gary Songey in Along Came a Spider. Wincott is best known for his deep, raspy voice, best likened to a crackling fire, which he has employed to great effect in every film listed above, as well as Alien Resurrection, Jim Jarmusch's Dead Man, and as Ed Gein in the 2012 Alfred Hitchcock biopic. Always choosy in his roles, Wincott has become more and more selective as the years have gone by, last appearing as a transgender former porn director in Swedish web series Venny Vivi Vici and the live-action Ghost in the Shell, both of which were released in 2017. In 2022, Wincott returned to screens, and bizarre names, after five years to play the disaffected cryptic cinematographer Antlers Holst in Jordan Peele's Nope. Who knows what's next, but where the Wincott blows, we will follow. <laughs> I'm very proud of that. That's very good.
1: Um, yeah, Wincott is someone I've wanted to cover ever since we've started doing the podcast. He's only appeared in a lot of movies that were very formative to me as a teenager, getting into movies. Um, I remember my dad, who's, who's also a big cinephile, showing me films that blew my mind that Wincott appeared in, like um, Strange Days, Dead Man, The Crow, the alien movies, of which Wincott's in the fourth one. And Wincott's not the lead in any of these. He, he always caught my eye because he would typically play the henchman with an odd vibe or tick, you know the most kind of like colorful or striking characters i mm, suppose yeah. and those who've seen Wincott in the movie will know that he naturally has a lot of gravitas um he has this like long and gravel and gravel yeah but also like aside from the kind of raspy sensuous voice like he's got this long intense sh- face with like sharp cheekbones um always rocking long hair in the 90s which was you know mm. tend to be a great look you know and i, I just feel like you just can never take your eyes off him in a scene even when he's opposite like a major star
0: yeah absolutely
1: and um i think what made him even more fascinating to me was that you know post-2000s he did start to appear in less movies or in smaller roles so kind of when he did show up you you sort of cherished it yeah absolutely and um yeah i remember um you know as you mentioned it was like He'd done some TV work in the 2010s, but it seems that after the 2017 Ghost in the Shell remake, you know, I think he had like a small, uncredited part. I've seen that
0: movie, and I don't remember him in it. Yeah, it's a, yeah he, he is uncredited, and I've, I've seen that movie as well, and I don't remember
1: him. Yeah, but um, I thought he'd stopped acting altogether, but then last year when it was announced that he was going to be in Jordan Peele's Nope, I thought that was just so cool yeah, you know and yeah. then the full trailer for Nope came out and even cooler was that it seemed like a really big part like it wasn't a cameo yeah and um, so we thought we'd cover him to coincide with uh, Nope's release yeah. but um, any greater thoughts on Winkop before we get into the specific movies
0: I'm just so glad he's back even yeah. if it's just for a little while I hope so. Yeah. I hope that I, I was a bit upset to see that like there's nothing on the
1: IMDb like announced or like, yeah. pre-production or post-production. But um, I'm hoping that Nope gives him a little yeah. bit of a yeah. bump. I don't. I don't. Maybe he doesn't want to. I don't
0: know. Although he was a major major part of my childhood. Now that I think about it, because he voiced um, one of the main villain, the Prophet of Truth in Halo Two. Oh, would um, okay. be remiss, remiss of me uh, to not mention it, and I have several friends that would pull me up on it if I didn't. So
1: also, he's a villain in um, Treasure Planet.
0: Yes, yeah, he's got a great voice. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. So I'm surprised he hasn't done more voice work. Yeah, you think it would
1: be an easy paycheck for him? Yeah,
0: absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, Can I start off talking about talk radio, which I think is one of his big breaks? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, so this is a 1988 movie from Oliver Stone, and it tells the story of Barry Champlain, played by Eric Boghossian, a Jewish radio personality who hosts a popular but divisive uh, regional radio show. It's divisive because of Barry's caustic sense of humour and propensity for talking down to and basically slagging off his audience. And on the eve of his show going national, Barry starts to spiral due to feelings of self-doubt, personal relationship problems, the hatred he receives from many of his listeners each day, and increasingly severe death threats from radical far-right elements.
0: We've brought Kent on board to get an inside look at the future of America. Kent is the classic American youth, energetic and resourceful, spoiled, perverse, and disturbed. Would you say that's an accurate description, Kent? Yep, sure. (laughs) Yeah, what do you call that haircut? I don't know. Rock and roll!
1: <laughs>
0: Are you high right now, Ken? Am I high? Are you on drugs, or is this your naturally moronic cell? Watch the drooly, getting it all over the console.
1: <laughs> can't believe I'm here, man. <laughs> hey, but, but does this thing really work?
0: You're sitting in a radio station, Kent. You're sitting in front of a live mic. When you speak, thousands of people hear your voice. It penetrates their minds. <laughs> okay.
1: Okay, no, I want I want to send that one out to Diamond Dave and Billy the bass player and all the babes at the Valley View Mall. <laughs> so this as you mentioned this is an adaptation of the play of the same name by Bigosian who's been having a bit of a second wind recently uh, yeah, Succession Succession and, and Uncle, Gems, Uncle Gems yeah, yeah where yeah. he's brilliant in both of those things I
0: even heard you resurface a fucking swimming pool
1: <laughs> I always think of him reading out um, mm. Tom's threatening email to Greg where you can't break a to- you can't make a Tom look without breaking a few Gregs yeah um, this talk radio is also based on um, true events uh, surrounding a real life talk show named Allenberg talk show host named Allenberg And, um, yeah, this is a movie that's very good. Um, It's one of those films kind of like An Uncut Gems where it's about a person who has a lot of unlikable traits, but because the writing and central performance is so strong, you are still compelled by them and interested in what makes them tick. There's also some valid criticisms of society in there too in that it centers around, you know, what could be this, like, amazing form for public discussion, but it's so... It's shown so quickly becoming a place for people just to call in and spout these sensationalist or racist or sexist or homophobic comments. And I think what's based on play, Oliver Stone brings this sort of trademark cinematic bombast um, to this like spinning cameras, slow motion, quick cuts, color filters, like it moves like a movie. It's absolutely not stagey. Um, yeah and Winko he plays Kent an 18 year old caller into Barry's show allegedly seeking help for his girlfriend who overdosed um, however it turns out it's a prank <laughs> but <laughs> Barry then invites Kent to come into the studio live kind of with the intention of um, ridiculing him which sort of backfires and um, yeah Winko performed the play on stage um, prior to being cast in the movie and like, he's just hysterical in the film version given like a really big performance mm-hmm. Um because when we see him show up for the big scene, his character Kent is styled like a member of Aerosmith or Motley <coughs> Crue. Like he's got like long hair, bandana, sunglasses. He talks like a parody of a California surfer. He also appears to be very high. And on top of that, just quite dumb, I'll <laughs> say. Um, <laughs> he, his character is basically like the 80s radio version of an internet troll. And that's why he likes Barry's show and idolizes him. Kent just enjoys listening to Barry turning the tables on his audience and insulting them he's not really interested in any of the political things that Barry is saying or thinks he's saying and um yeah Barry begins by asking Ken questions with the intention of making them look stupid before just starting to actively insult him you know like <laughs> but the whole way through Kent just grins and laughs maniacally saying back things like you're so great Barry I love your show <laughs> Um, He just keeps shouting randomly into the mic too. He's smoking and is like blowing smoke rings and anytime Barry tries to get him to talk seriously about like contemporary issues he just responds with a bunch of kind of vague gibberish or ignores it and at first Barry seems to be having fun slagging Kent but you can tell he quickly grows bored before then getting kind of existential about it because you can tell he's starting to think like this is the type of person who listens to my show (laughs) and um there's a part where he puts to kent like we discuss a lot of serious subjects on the show sad things frightening things doesn't anything of that bother you and kent just replies no (laughs) (laughs) and barry's like why not and kent says back like it's just a show (laughs) and um kent then gets pulled off the show for saying something really horrible to another caller in his kind of attempt at shock humor and you get a sense of Barry realising in that moment that he himself is just a more eloquent version of this stupid 18-year-old. You know, like, Barry's a troll too. The main appeal of a show for a lot of people is him just tearing into his listeners, not any of his attempts at, like, political commentary. And it's not long after that that Begosian's Barry has this breakthrough where he delivers this long monologue live on air where he kind of dismantles himself and his audience saying, like, I ask for sincerity and I lie I denounce the system as I embrace it I want money and power and prestige I want ratings and success I don't give a damn about you or the world that's the truth and then he turns onto his audience saying like you're fascinated by the gory details you're mesmerized by your own fear you revel in floods car accidents unstoppable diseases you're happiest when others are in pain which is really good really good monologue and it's really well shot because um, it's like him delivering it straight to camera but Oliver Stone is like spinning it okay, to kind of create yeah. the sort of like the earth is sort of shaking yeah, as he's saying yeah. it um, also on top of uh, playing Kent Winkoff voices a couple of the other characters who call into Barry Show mm. um, but they're like kind of minor characters but, um, but I think it's cool too and um Yeah, it's just a really scene-stealing turn, um, very funny in a dark way and mesmerising. And Stone must have really liked working with Wincott because he puts them in his following two movies, Born on the Fourth of July and The Doors, which are both pretty good. Okay. I've never
0: seen either of them. I haven't seen talk radio either, but... Do you
1: recommend it? They all sound great. Um, Do you want to mix it up a little bit? Because the next movie, chronologically, is Robin Hood, but Mm. I think I've talked a bit. Do you want to do The Crow?
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, Michael Wincott plays Top Dollar, the crime kingpin of Detroit, a madman bored by the madness he helped create He finds new excitement after his top street soldiers Start dying at the hands of Eric Draven Or Eric De Raven, A.K.A. The Crow Played by um, Brandon Lee
1: I've honestly actually
0: never noticed <laughs> Really? DeRaven <laughs> <laughs> um, Draven is working his way up Through the gangland food chain towards Top Dollar Whom he blames for his own death As well as that of his girlfriend Shelley Played by Sophia Sy- shyness, uh, Exactly a year ago
1: Devil's night is upon us again so we throw a little party, start a bunch of fires, make a little profit. I like the pretty lies. Problem is, it's all been done before, You see what I'm saying. There's no reason to quit. Wrong. Best reason to quit. Only reason to quit. The man has an idea. The idea attracts others. Like-minded. The idea expands. The idea becomes an institution.
0: What was the idea?
1: That's what's been bothering me, boys. Because I
0: tell you, when I used to think about the idea itself, it put a big old smile on my face. You see, gentlemen,
1: greed is
0: for amateurs. Disorder, chaos. So it's either this or um, uh, Robin Hood that kind of enshrined Michael Wincott as the kind of go-to guy for off-the-wall batshit performances in kind of dark sort of, sci-fi. a lot of sci-fi movies really. Yeah, I'd say Strange Days as well. Yeah, Strange Days, yeah. And the top dollar is like he's pure evil, distilled into sort of a, I don't know, some kind of goth metal rocker. He looks like, <laughs> yes. he, he, looks like he, he plays guitar in Cradle of Filth or one of those bands. Um, but he's bored with all the bad things that used to excite him, like cocaine, incest, murder, and swords. And he kills his own henchmen without a thought, like um where he's uh, he I think uh one of his henchmen is like stabbed or something. He sta- he stabs him with a sword oh, and your aunt's like a long time and he's Oh for fuck's sake, die and just shoots him with a machine gun. Um and like yeah he kills his unhenchman without a thought and his sexual escapades usually involving his half sister Micah played by uh, Byling, often end with the third partner dead like he's in he's li- literally introduced on his bed sitting beside a woman and then he gets up and says to his uh, half sister I think we broke this one and it cuts to her and she's just dead oh my god yeah, <laughs> yeah um, and I think Eric Eric Draven uh, is the first real challenge and excitement Top Dollar has had in years though um, Although Top Dollar's motivations are kind of murky, like it's not really, it's not, in fairness, the film doesn't focus on him, it's all on um, Brandon Lee's character, um, the the titular crow. Um, Like for a guy fed up with depravity, why does he want eternal life? You know, but me, that's the most interesting and tragic part of Top Dollar's story. He's chased something he'll never reach. There's a hole in him that will never be filled. For all his men, crime is the be all and end all. Detective Albrecht played by Ernie Hudson has his police work and Micah has her mysticism which Top Dollar only seems to have believe in and were Top Dollar to get the immortality and inf- inf- invincibility that the crow bestows I think he'd just be more bored only this time he'd have no way out and would be trapped eternally in a hell of his own making and with all that said I don't think Top Dollar really really necessitates that kind of deep reading but it was fun to do and Wincott <laughs> really sells the man as someone who has exhausted almost every option in his pursuit of a meaningful life Um. Although he is quite a, quite a quite a leftist, if you can if you can believe it, where he's like greed is for amateurs, chaos, disorder, anarchy. Now that's fun. That's like the, that's
1: the, the the amazing monologue where he gathers all the crime yeah. bosses. I was like, remember we used to make great crime. We, we used to make. <laughs> he yeah. seems to be
0: very fed up of like. We Used to make great crime and great movies because that was my read on. Because um, I watched The Crow when we, for, our for our Tony, for Tony Todd, Todd episode, episode, episode.
1: Yeah. and I remember I spent most of him like a wink on him. Mm-hmm, in the movie. Yeah. and like tony todd is the only person that who seems to be like this is a crime operation this we, is a are, business. we make yeah. money yeah. like every, every all he wants to do is just like anarchy yeah, say. Yeah. Um i suppose as you mentioned like if you're that much of a nihilist it can be hard to kind of um grasp onto anything
0: yeah you know? yeah <laughs> yeah it is quite sad really when you think about it yeah but i'm nev- i can't I, really I, be I, that I, sympathetic yeah, I, I, neither can i i've never thought about it before and i'll never think about it again yeah. when i'm watching the crow but um, I do think that movie is
1: great and is very weird for mm. a kind of mainstream movie. It's pretty gnarly and nasty and kind of moves by its own rhythms. Yeah. Like it doesn't really, there's a lot of stuff it just sort of um, throws at you and just expects you to keep up. Like the fact that it's like you're just by yeah, the, like, yeah. it rains all the time in this world and the city is run rampant. Yeah. It doesn't begin with an opening scroll explaining like the year is 2016, you know, yeah, like, yeah. You know. yeah, yeah. And that's even before There's like a crow That like gives you immortality Yeah, um, yeah. No good, good movie Yeah good great movie, movie yeah. Um, Catch up by Robin Hood Go for it Yes this is the 1991 um, Retelling of the English Folk tale Robin Hood With uh, Kevin Costner As the man who steals From the rich And gives to the needy Kevin Costner Not well, as good not greedy As Vincent Cassell's Performance of Robin Hood And Shrek But then again You know who is mm. um, So we begin the movie With Costner's Robin O'Loxley Imprisoned in Jerusalem During the Crusades um, He escapes Along with a Muslim Prisoner named Azim, played by Morgan Freeman And um, the two head to England to Robin's home. However, upon arrival, he discovers that in the absence of the King of England, um, who's visiting France, the evil Sheriff of Nottingham, played by Alan Rickman, is ruining the land with the help of his cruel cousin Guy of Gisborne, who's Wincott. And the pair are making everyone's life miserable, and Robin and Azim try to take down the Sheriff and restore order. Get him down. (laughs) Oh. Curious the to what manner of creature is so fearsome that it takes six men to attack it. Stranger, this is no affair of yours. Will we treat the devil himself? Let me see. <laughs> a
0: small boy, a truly dangerous animal. This boy killed one of the sheriff of Nottingham's deer. You starve us. We needed the meat. Look, I advise you to move on, pilgrim. This is the sheriff's land.
1: Wrong. This is my land and my tree, therefore, whatever's in it also
0: belongs to me. Might I have the pleasure of your name before I have you run through. Robin of Loxley.
1: Well, well. Loxley. Welcome home. Kill him. Um, this is. For the most part, exactly what you'd expect a '90s version of Robin Hood starring Kevin Costner to um, be like—no better, no worse. Mm, say. Yeah, um, yeah,
0: did you watch it for this? No, I'm uh, not. I'm not a. I'm not a, I'm, not a Costner, I'm not a big Costner fan.
1: I can. I've enjoyed it, many a Costner, but mm. I think he's a very just. He's solid, you know. Yeah. He, I. 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 I, no, I haven't seen A *Dancing with, with Wolves*, which is obviously like the big one, mm. but um, it's just. Like, obviously, he's American. Hmm. He's a British character. Yeah. He's kind of struggling with the accent a little bit. Hmm. Um, I will say, like The Bodyguard Kevin Cosner, great theme tune. Hmm. Everything I do. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: I think this movie is watchable, if a bit long and padded. Um, Here's the thing. Um, as we'll find out later, Michael Wincott should, should have played Robin Hood. Because A, against type. B looks great with long hair yes and C it. can do a flawless English accent he can do a flawless yeah. English accent I will
1: say in Strange Days it seems like I can't tell if the character is English mm. sometimes he's doing an English accent sometimes he's not
0: yeah but then in when I, I thought I thought that as well and then I watched Along Came a Spider and it's like oh wow this guy's really good
1: he's, his accent is really good in Robin Hood it's better than Cosmo's yeah I figured yeah <laughs> <laughs> But, um, yeah, and, like, in this movie, like, the swashbuffling action looks good, but is nothing too memorable. It's the same sort of beats you see in any of these old-time adventure yeah. movies. Like, Robin Hood has to teach the poor villagers of Sherwood Forest to outsmart and beat the sheriff's men, but they have, like, larger numbers yeah. and more weapons. And
0: So it's, it's British Zorro, is what you're saying. Yeah, and that's all. That's Zorro, already a step down.
1: Zorro is the read, yeah. yeah. And, um there's like a romance between um kevin cosner and um robin, kevin cosner's robin hood and lady marion and mary elizabeth master and and it kind of feels a bit perfunctory you know like and she starts yeah. off the movie being like oh this this uh, woman is very tough and kind of um doesn't take no shit and then by the end of the movie is just like a damsel in distress yeah but like this is very uninteresting um and <laughs> i was thinking about this like it's really formulaic and when you compare it to Ridley Scott's. Kind of good, if I remember. More grounded, gritty take on Robin Hood with Russell Crowe. But also the 2018 box office bomb and critically reviled <laughs> version of the same story with Taron Egerton. Which I kind of liked in the way it's sort of Peaky Blinder-fied Robin Hood. You know, like, it's filled with all these weird, anachronistic action set pieces and details. It's very bluntly political. It's quite silly. But mm. it's making choices. And this one does not really. And you can kind of understand how... Um, they made a spoof movie of it like two years later, you know, like Robin Hood, um, Men in Tights, you know, Carrie yeah, Elwes. Yeah. But um, that's it, the one part of this movie that really does stand out and puts a bit of a pep in the step is its villains who are a little bit nastier and weirder than you'd expect for a movie which, where I feel like a lot of its target audience would generally be younger children. Mm. Um, it does help that the two bad guys are played by the same actors who were Hans Gruber in Die Hard and Top Dog and the Crow. Mm. Rickman's toll blast in this. Um, like, Wincott, he has got that, another great voice, you mm. know, a bit deep and languid. Um, He's playing this character who's very decadent. He's always drinking and hoarding gold and having statues made of himself. Um, <laughs> he's also a bit sex mad. Um, there's this crazy line where he's freaking out about Robin Hood and he turns kind of frustratingly to two women in his cast and he says to one like, you, my room, ten thirty tonight. And then he turns to the other one and is like, you, 10-45. <laughs> and then he takes a beat and is like, bring a friend. <laughs> and um, he's he's just also like an egomaniac who does not think twice about killing or hurting someone in order to get, what well, not just what he wants, but what he feels he's owed and the um, amazing line is when he's going to punish the public for supporting Robin Hood and he says cancel the kitchen scraps for the leopards and orphans no more merciful beheadings and call off Christmas <laughs> a line apparently ad-libbed by Rickman which is amazing mm. and if all that wasn't enough um, one of the sheriff's advisors also claims to be a witch in <laughs> Mortiana who teaches him matters of the occult and at one point we see him worshipping an upside down cross so, so he's,
0: he's medieval
1: top so dollar he's yeah exactly let's <laughs> survive um, he's uh, maybe a Satanist. Um, yeah. <laughs> and but then in the smaller roles, his henchman cousin is uh, Wincott, as guy of Gisborne, who is introduced with a group of men trying to murder a little boy who <laughs> killed one of the sheriff's deer for food. <laughs> and again, Wincott's got like the awesome long hair, but also a big scar on his cheek and yellow teeth. And he's doing his baritone voice, but with a UK twang to the accent, um, as I said, better than Cosner. Um, I suppose what I really like about Wincott in this movie is that his character guy gisborne is basically fulfilling the role of the villain's assistant who is constantly kind of embarrassed by or is made a fool of by the hero you know robin hood is pretty easily able to kill or make flee all of his men and ends up with a sword to gisborne's neck but he spares him so gisborne can pass on a message to the sheriff but but wincott like just by the way he's styled is kind of wide-eyed intense brooding and his delivery like he still manages to feel threatening and um like when he comes across robin hood for the first time and robin hood's kind of like threatening him he says Might I have the pleasure of your name before I have you run through? (laughs) Um, There's another part where Robin is fleeing from Gisborne's man, and Gisborne is trying to lure him out, and he shouts, Robin of the Hood! Son of a devil worshipper! Your father died a coward, cursing your name and squealing like a stuck pig. Um... (laughs)
0: <laughs> so like really kind of intense I'm yeah. sure I'm, I'm never, making the things I'd, pop I'd never come back if, if that was said to me <laughs> I'd, 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 I'd move to France <laughs> um, but you can, yeah you can really imagine how he must have been like feared by the locals before Robin appeared and
1: took him down a peg mm. or two and um, I think director Kevin Reynolds who I think went on to make Waterworld with Cosner must have noticed Wincott's intensity because he shoots a few of his scenes with Rickman in these very striking close-ups where Wincott's face takes up nearly the entire screen and they don't do it for any other actor like it seems like <laughs> it was just like this is Winc- Wincock Cam, yeah. you know? <laughs> Win Wincam, and um, yeah, he has good chemistry with Rick, Rickman. um He doesn't have a lot of jokes. Wincock's character in the movie, but there is one bit where the sheriff shouts at Robin as he's fleeing that it will cut out Robin's heart with a spoon. And later on in the next scene, Gisborne's like, "Why a spoon, cousin? Why not an axe And Sheriff Nodding replies, "Cause it's dull, you twit. It'll hurt more." <laughs> and that comes back. I should say spoilers, but um, Wincott gets a bit of an early exit. He's killed just before the halfway point of the movie by the sheriff, you know, his own cousin, for feigning him in not capturing Robin, and it's, again, that standard thing of showing how evil the main villain is by having him kill one of his own lowly henchmen, but it's still kind of shocking because Wincott appears genuinely apologetic and upset about it, saying to his cousin, like, I tried, like, I tried to the sheriff, and the sheriff at first appears to console him, but then stabs him before saying as he's dying, at least I didn't use a spoon. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Yeah, just like if I would say, if everyone else is acting like they're in like a Kevin Cosner, you know, swashbuckling epic, Mm. Rickman and Winkoff feel like they're out of something a bit stranger or scrungier or darker, like Time Bandits or (laughs) Gremlins, one of those kids' movies where you watch it as a kid and then as an adult you revisit it and think, Jesus, this is dark, (laughs) you know? And, um,. Yeah, this came out a couple of years before the likes of The Crow and Strange Days, but just the way Wincott styled and his energy in Robin Hood, it feels like it's sort of the blueprint for what he'll do throughout the 90s, but later he gets more screen time and the projects become better, and I think he hones and perfects it a bit. Yeah, you know? yeah. As you heard in the intro, this show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, Ireland's largest network of independent podcasts. There's plenty of other great shows to check out on the network. Here's a taster of one.
0: Hello, my name is Stephanie Preisner, and I'm here to tell you about my show, Basically. It's all in the name really. The show makes things basic for people. We've done episodes about world religions. We've done episodes about COVID. We've done episodes, a lot of episodes about mental health and different aspects of mental health to make things accessible to people. One of the great things about the podcast is that you can contact me and let me know what topics you would like. So have a listen, see if anything tickles your fancy. And if there's something there that you think is missing, Please get in touch with the show, we'll cover the topic, and then you can listen to it. We're part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, so you can find us on headstuffpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon.
1: I Know That Face are also delighted to finally get to tell listeners about Headstuff+. Plus. Headstuff Plus is the one-stop shop for everything on the Headstuff Podcast Network, Ireland's largest podcast network, and the one to which I Know That Face belongs. If you're a fan of I Know That Face or any other shows on the network, become a member of Headstuff Plus get bonus episodes of Headstuff shows, other exclusive content, merchandise, early access to live events, and lots more. We here at I Know The Face have already recorded a handful of bonus episodes, where myself and Andrew talk about more current news and releases in the world of film and TV. But also in the future, we have plans for more actor-themed series as well, along with releasing episode outtakes, accompanying articles, etc. All for Headstuff Plus subscribers. To sign up to Headstuff Plus, it's just €5 plus fat per month. When you sign up, no matter what show or shows you are supporting, you still get access to everything. All the bonus material for all the podcasts on the network. A lot of great podcasts. Plus, by doing so, you'll be supporting I Know The Face to bring you more top material. For all the details and to sign up, visit headstuffpodcasts.com. And now,
0: back to the show. Um, We talk Strange Days? Let's do it. Michael Wincott plays Philo Gant, an LA music mogul. Addicted to squid recordings, illegal sense recordings of others' memories, Gant has become paranoid due to his addiction and keeps the artists he manages under surveillance, including the recently murdered rapper and activist Jericho One, played by Glenn Plummer. Ex LAPD officer and current squid black marketeer Lenny Nero, played by Ray Fiennes, is suspicious of Gant due to his relationship with Lenny's ex Faith about Juliette Lewis what Lenny uncovers in the two days before the new millennium will bust the city wide open yeah well, well I actually don't know when you think of this movie I love it it's great it's amazing it's, really, it? it's really, really, top good. 5 for me yeah, but, yeah. yeah yeah I bought it as, off this, solely off the recommendation that it was in your top 4 on Letterboxd oh really back when okay. I had Letterboxd yeah, yeah yeah come to peddle me some clips for old time's sake or just making a few extra bucks for holidays you're not a clan anymore again I wouldn't sell you the sweat out of dead dogs bald I've already got everything I need from you Lenny thanks Cut it out, Philo. Too bad about your guy, Jericho, Man, It's a tough break. You've lost your golden goose.
1: Try showing some respect sometime. The
0: man was an important artist. Important for your label, which no doubt is why you're in mourning. Well, don't worry. His records will sell out now. He's dead, and you'll make out. Always do. Faith, can I talk to you for one second?
1: It's not a good idea right now, Lenny.
0: Well, I just got to talk to you for one second, okay? About what? I think that'd be between me and Faith, wouldn't it?
1: Lenny, I don't feel
0: anything between you and Faith. You see, that's your problem, Lenny. You assume too much. You assume there's something, but there's nothing. You assume that you have a life. In fact, you're just peddling pieces of other people's lives and the broken parts of your own.
1: It lines up with a lot of my personal taste in that, like I love noir stories. You know, down on the look, flawed characters drawn into like a mystery and getting in above their heads. I also love this particular brand of sci-fi, which. I think i've heard someone describe it as 10 minute in the future sci-fi where mm. it's only a few years away you still recognize the places and the people but it's and it's dealing with contemporary problems but there is just one sci-fi element that has like radically changed society yeah, in this case yeah. the, the squids the yeah it's v-
0: very like cyberpunk or something like yeah. it's we're 10 years away from people walking around with like uh, ro- robotic eyes or some or some shit
1: absolutely yeah but i also think like what's cool about this movie is that like it's drawing from stuff in the headlines when it was made and tackles some weighty themes but i think it works really well as an entertaining and exciting and gripping blockbuster with a just a great sense of place and mm. lived in characters yeah. and even though this movie was a huge uh, financial failure when it came out i think probably because it didn't have a huge star i think probably closest at the time would be angela bassett yeah um, yeah um yeah, Ray was, just... was still coming up i think yeah. she'd been oscar nominated for the by a yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah but
1: um it's also very ambitious and like I imagine it was hard to smoke to audiences in a trailer what the movie's about because it has a very um I wouldn't say convoluted plot, but a very dense plot. Yeah. And, like, even the posters for the movie are just the actors' faces. <laughs> like, yeah, It doesn't yeah, really yeah, give you a vibe yeah. of what the movie is. And um, it's really violent as well. Yeah. But um, all that said, I think if we held a screening of it now and we brought a bunch of our more, like, casual movie watchers friends to see it, I believe most people would have a great time. Mm. So if yeah. anyone wants to let us do that, <laughs> please yeah. reach out. I know the face part of com. <laughs> but, um yeah just in terms of what's tackling like this is set in the last days of the millennium which is only five years after the actual film was released which is pretty bold choice but I think speaks to Bigelow and a uh, Catherine Bigelow director's movie and also the Screenwriters of the movie claim director in his own right James Cameron and also frequent Matt Scorsese collaborator Jay Cox wanting to emphasize that Strange Days is about current issues which I, I think are still topical now because like it's depiction of LA in w- of an LA in which like social order appears to be breaking down is like mm. heavily inspired by the 1992 Los Angeles riots that follow the beating of Ronnie King. On top of that, a major part of its plot is that this hugely popular rapper and black activist, the Jericho One character, is murdered by two racist cops, um, played by William Fickner and a very scary. Yeah, um, Vincent um, D'Onofrio.
0: One thing I will say, William Fick- William Fickner in 1995 Heat and Strange Days. Mad. Yeah. Insane. Great taste.
1: And then a couple of days, a couple of years later, you have Contact, which is mm. amazing in that too. Yeah. Um, such a great actor.
0: Yeah. So he was a is size- he still doing stuff? I haven't seen him in a while I don't know uh, but every time I see him I'm like god it's like it's like they took the scales off a lizard
1: (laughs) for people who don't know he's the bank teller of the reading of the Dark Knight Yeah. Uh, yeah 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 Um, you have any idea who you're stealing from <laughs> you and your friends are dead <laughs> also Prison Break right I feel like all people know him from that uh, yeah probably I, have, yeah, yeah. I
0: haven't seen Prison Break but.
1: Um, but, but I think all this stuff that the movie is referencing is still very you know stuff that you see in the news regularly to this day or like echoes mm. of it and like to the extent that Catherine Bigelow in 2017 made Detroit a movie explicitly about another US race riot and people were still like very of the moment you know <laughs> Um and on top of this, I think the movie got a lot of criticism at the time for its violence. Like, I I think particularly, um, you know, trigger warning, um, a rape scene shown from the perspective of someone wearing this squid technology. Have we explained what the squid technology is?
0: Well, I've said it's illegal sense recordings of others' memories.
1: Yeah, so basically you can, like, put this thing on top of your head and it records your experiences. And then other people can put in a tape of that basically into their brain and can experience experience the the sensation
0: of it. It's like a creepy technology, even without the rape scene. It's like, oh, you're just a there's the, like where because there's a scene where Lenny Ray finds his character is, um, showing it to his prospective client, and he's like, "You were just an 18 year old girl taking a shower." And it's like, what grown man wants to experience that?
1: Yes, it's um, it's quite scuzzy, but I don't know. I think about the violence in the movie. Like, what struck me is how extremely disturbing and nightmarish that scene is, uh, in. A very authentic way and i imagine catherine biglow's thinking on that is that like this sort of violence happens a lot which is terrible mm. but to act, accurately convey the awfulness of it you shouldn't sanitize it and i feel like a lot of mainstream movies tend to do that mm. and um i think misogyny is a major theme of this movie too in that like one of its characters is also this incredibly powerful but horrible music mogul played by michael wincott who we see slapping multiple female characters around mm. you know and um but i also think you're talking about the, the squid device i think that's a brilliant allegory for the seductive power of movies Mm. In that you know, when you see a movie, you're kind of you're living another person's experiences in a way. And like the act of capturing something on camera is a way, of preserving experiences so they don't fade. And, like, I think the squid technology is just like an amplified version of that. And it's not that different from movies, you mm. know, yeah. and um, I actually and I like that the movie takes the time to show you ways that the tech could be used both to accomplish incredible good but also horrible evil. like, there's that little scene which has nothing to do with the plot of the movie but I love that they put it in there where Ray finds as Lenny gives the minor character of Tex you know the, the guy in the wheelchair yeah. the tape of the man running along the beach oh
0: yeah, yeah. and we
1: see Tex jack in is what they call him in the movie mm. have you ever jacked in <laughs> straight from the cerebral cortex
0: um, very William Gibson
1: yeah absolutely um, very neuromancer and, um, but like he, he jacks in and with scooter and he feels like he's running on the beach mm. and he see him have this like euphoric reaction to it and yeah. so it's such a beautiful moment mm. in a pretty gnarly movie but do you, yeah, do you like the
0: kind of the the more conventional pleasures of
1: the movie, like the the, the mystery? The, yeah, the yeah,
0: absolutely, yeah. What I really liked about it, and this is like, this is the second time I've seen this movie, but um, what what I really liked about it this time was Ray Fiennes' performance because I think he's really good. I think he's like he's like he's no hero, but he is he's like this kind of slick hustler with a really great sense of humor. Like when he's like being beaten up by the cybergoths or whatever, and Angela, Angela Bassett's mace rescues him. And he goes back. He goes back before they run away, just to kick kick this guy in the balls one more time. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, that's a really nice um, character touch, and he has others as well that I can't remember right now. But um, and he's got this real wheeling and dealing sensibility to him, even though he's kind of he's in danger of like becoming sort of like um, Philogant, who's been made paranoid by uh, his addiction to the squid recordings. But um, which we don't see often enough, in my opinion. Um,
1: yes that is. of it, him
0: it, using the squid machine
1: sure I, I'd i agree because yeah. it, it kind of comes out of nowhere all that stuff about yeah, him being paranoid
0: yeah. um, but I will say that they're kind of like the inverse of each other mm. the, or the polar opposite of, he's the polar opposite of Phylogan who loses himself in squid recordings and becomes a paranoid wreck because of it whereas Lenny is saved by real people in real life both physically mentally and spiritually
1: right here right, right now, now right here the, right uh, now Angela Bassett says those words in the movie and then Fatboy
0: took them and made a great song out of it yeah yeah, yeah. um and like it's it just shows that memories are only so good until you lose you lose yourself in them and who knows what you know dangers the memories of a stranger pose when you're experiencing them and um yeah it's just 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 goes to show that you know you should you should live your life as opposed to living someone else's whether through vicariously through them or by literally looking at their memories
1: yeah totally agree and like i agree with you about i think like finds particularly like imbues Lenny who is he's, he's presented as a scumbag and the, like he's you fired cop turned black marketeer mm. but he's just got a little bit more charm and more intelligence and more pathos that you actually do care about him I think the movie is stoned up by Bassett who yeah, is just yeah. this awesome single mom slash bodyguard slash limo driver named Mace mm. who um and she's so strong and authoritative but in moments you can tell that she has these like strong emotions boiling deep within yeah, her. Like yeah. she has unspoken romantic feelings for Lenny, but she knows that he's still pining over Faith, mm. Giet Lewis character. And um Hard not to, who I wouldn't? Absolutely. So like I, I love everyone. I love this movie and I think everyone in it is perfect. But um we've
0: got to talk about Man, Man of the Era, Wincott. A pretty flawless English accent that's that he would improve upon in Along Came Spider. Um, though it wasn't the only similarity in his his character shares he's also a bit of a red herring in both movies oh that's true yeah I suppose I've actually never seen Long
1: Came a Spider but um, um,
0: well I'll, I'll get into that later but yeah it's, no it's, it is interesting because he's like billed as the and he, don't get me wrong he is a villain but he's not like the villain yeah because there's like five <laughs> sure.
1: okay, okay. I, w- I was a bit surprised of course I'd i seen Strange Days when I was a teenager and like re left a big impression on me watching again I was surprised by how little screen time of has mm. but for how big of an impression he leaves because like only in a handful of scenes but you really feel making a meal out of them in the mm. best way like again childlike like a vampire luscious long hair chest often exposed um, tends to be surrounded by a crew of henchmen <laughs> god yeah. henchmen yeah. Um, only seen at night but um, I think his accent in this movie is, is a little odd but I kind of like it though in that I think it's great on the ears and the fact that we can't really pin down his dialect yeah. adds to the sort of intrigue of the character. And like, he, he seems to have this otherworldly power and authority to him, which I think makes sense playing this incredibly rich music mogul. And apparently Bono was in talks to play this I role. I remember
0: that. I remember reading about that. Yeah. Which,
1: uh, honestly, I'd be a bit curious to see, but I don't mm. think Bono could capture the seductive menace of Todd's no, Philo. No. Um, but who, who can say? Um, but He I, would have had a pair of cool sunglasses though. Several, probably. Yes, yeah. absolutely. But you can see why um, you can, I think you can see why Faith might Been drawn to Philo first, not just because he might sign her to his label, but because he's striking looking and confident and has a distinct vibe. Like the bit the scene I love. The bit where Lenny approaches Faith and Philo when they're I think they're in the VIP section of the of the club, and Lenny says he needs to talk to Faith, and Philo says about what? And Lenny says, like, that's between me and Faith. And Philo puts his hand up, goes to grab something that's not there out of the air, analyses his empty hand and says, Huh, funny. I don't feel anything between you and Faith. <laughs> like, the way he tosses that off yeah, is delicious. Yeah. But then, like, from that point on, we see more of his true colours when he's not in a public space and not good. Um, mm, there's no, bad a, guy. You, yeah, as you mentioned, there's like you, there's a suggestion in the movie that I, I think they could delve into a bit more that if you use the squid tech too much, you become addicted to it and paranoid. And I think that combined with just being a man of unchecked power, thanks to his music career, has made him quite unhinged. Mm. He's very bitter, shouts. But because it's wink hot, it's like an intense sounding low rumble mm. um, he just he treats people in his crew kind of like property like I think Lenny at one point says to Faith like you're just a Ferrari to him um, and as I said he's abusive to the women he surrounds himself with like Faith and you kind of infer that Faith stuck around Philo because she thought he, he'd advance her career but by the time she realised how truly awful he was she was stuck with him because of this conspiracy that he's wrapped up in yeah. and um yeah, there's a line in this movie that Philo delivers after he hits Fate that is so repugnant that <laughs> as a teenager it really stuck with me for how shocking it was. And as I said, I think misogyny is one of the things this movie is addressing and critiquing, so credit for Wincott for leaning into the sleaze and making it hurt. You know? mm. Just other things. Uh, do, do you know some of the like, weird things about like, the making of this movie? I've probably read them, but... Sure? Yeah. It's just... Um, I think it's incredibly shocking Big Low in every respect. And there's... Um, Apparently there was no existing camera system that could accomplish the shots necessary for the point of view sequences when we see people wearing the squid tech.
0: I did read that, yeah. So
1: James Cameron, who Big Love was married to at the time, um, his company spent a full year designing and fabricating a special camera that weighed only eight pounds that could fit in the palm of hand that when mounted to a portable rig had the stability and mobility to mimic human eyes. Hmm and those scenes like the media res intro you know the robbery yeah. um are amazing looking they're really immersive also um the the party that's happening during the lengthy finale that must be like half an hour long 20 mm. minutes that was a real party that they held
0: yeah yeah for like to 4 days yeah, yeah. <laughs> apparently like there were t- like some 10 people like um put in hospital cuz of they overheated because they'd done too much ecstasy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, just And this movie just has a real apocalyptic vibe, mm. which, um, to the way that Bigelow shoots the movie, which is it's so appropriate, you know, mm. for this, like, L.A. is a pressure cooker. Yeah, kind of thing. yeah. Um, yeah, what a movie. And um, I feel like Strange Days and The Crow are really, like, where Wincott is giving you the pure, like, 90s weirdo character actor vibe, as you described it on Twitter. And yeah. um, I think... I, I would imagine that these two movies in particular are why Peel casts Wink On in Nope, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you want to hit uh Long Game a Spider?
0: Yeah, I'll do this quickly. Um because it's not that good. <laughs> I've seen
1: Kiss the Girls, I've never seen Long Came a Long Kim Spider.
0: Yeah, is Kiss the Girls any good?
1: It's solid. It's yeah. it's, it's kinda of one of those like seven knockouts, but it has a really great scene where at the end um the the bad guy is revealed and he has he's flooded the kitchen with gas, like he's left a cooker on, mm. so Morgan Freeman can't shoot him. And he's like, you can't kill me. Everything will explode. And there's a carton of milk on the table and Morgan Freeman shoots the milk which protects the flare and, like kills the bad guy and the like, white stuff squirts everywhere. It's really good.
0: <laughs> I Actually, I think I do remember that. I don't know where I saw it though. Probably on YouTube or something. Uh, anyway, Michael Wincott plays Gary Sonji, a computer science teacher in a school exclusively for the children of politicians. He kidnaps Megan Rose, played by Mika Borum, the daughter of a US senator and cooks retired detective Alex Cross, played by Morgan Freeman, into a cat and mouse game Sonji desires infamy, but things soon escalate even beyond his control. Now, Megan, you know I understand the particular pressures of your life. Father being who he is, and enormous expectations. All adds up to rather a lot, doesn't it? Yes, sir. Hmm. But none of that excuses your breaking the honor code. What? I know all about you and Dimitri, Megan. We don't tolerate cheating now, do we?
1: Cheating? Mr. Sanji. there's been a mistake. We only pass notes, you know, jokes and stuff.
0: Megan, before you go any further, best have a look at that.
1: Mr. Sanji.
0: Yes?
1: This essay, it isn't mine.
0: Make your pardon? What do you mean? Oh, my. Oh, dear girl, I'm... So he's this this guy who's like, we're we're first introduced to him and he looks like David Thewlis because he's got long hair, he's covered in like prosthetic makeup, like rubber rubber skin or whatever and he's got a big nose and glasses and speaks in this flawless English English accent and then he kidnaps uh, Megan and strangles a teacher and then movie goes on, uh, the Secret Service find out and Morgan Freeman uh, gets, the, gets the call from Gary Songey and then cuts to Gary Songey on his boat in Chesapeake Bay, I think. And he's there like peeling off skin, taking off his long hair and it's like short hair Michael Wincott, which is, I guess it was a new look for him in the, in the new millennium. Yeah. Um, and yeah, but again, pretty flawless English-, English accent. Thanks probably to his training at Juilliard and having an English father. Here's the thing, the film... Is much more low key than the James Patterson book it's based on. He has a whole series about the Alex Cross character, which comes at great cost to Sonji's character. We never really know all that much about him, whereas in the book, he's like, um, he has a split personality. There's like, he's um, in his you know normal life. I guess he's a a suburban, um, mild mannered dad. And then his other personality is this sociopathic guy who's obsessed with um, the person that kidnapped the Charles Lindbergh baby, Charles, Charles who's, who crossed the Atlantic, who's an aviator. And he uh, wants to replicate the so-called crime of the century, basically, and yeah. make himself more infamous. And um, we never really know all that much about him in the film. Um, or anyone really when you compare to like similar psychological crime thrillers of the time like Silence of the Lambs which would come out like eight years before or even Red Dragon which came out a year later which had Ray Fiennes in it and Anthony Hopkins reprises in his role as Hannibal Lecter um, yeah the wind just really gets taken out of its sails because uh, the the issue is a lack of complexity in character and in plot not only do we not, not know much about the characters we also don't know much about why things are happening and because we're given so little character wise it's hard to care about what happens in the story particularly in the ending which comes as a quite a shock, and it's disappointing for Michael uh, Wincott's character because he's a bit of a red herring in it, um, but not in a way that's like, oh, I'm surprised by this in a good way. It's like, oh, I'm surprised about this in a bad way. And also, um, Michael Wincott really gave this material everything he had and didn't really get a whole lot of reward for it. Um, uh, And it's just hard to make a meal out of scraps, even for the best actor, uh, especially someone like Wincott. Um, And you do get the sense you do get the sense of tragedy um, from Michael Wincott which might be Sonji's most important facet he wants to like be remembered so that his perceived failures like uh, failures that he perceives himself such as mental illness and the abuse that caused it aren't the only things to define him when he dies um, and unfortunately that uh, um, maybe it maybe it comes true maybe it doesn't I'll leave others to decide true. for that
1: is there know. any other good actors in the movie or I don't really know uh, Anton Yeltsin in it right
0: he is a very young Anton Yeltsin, yeah. yeah and he's he's good, for, good what he, actor, for, what he, for what he for what he gets was. yeah R.I.P um Morgan Freeman We Solid in the 90s Monica Potter um, pretty good uh, that's about it yeah, yeah.
1: no because no, usually in those kind of 90s movies that like really far down the line you have like Dennis Farina or yeah.
0: something you know like yes! <laughs> yes at last yeah
1: we wrap up a time at Nope yes um, yeah the plot here um, this is the third film from Roger director Jordan Peele who previously made the acclaimed horrors Get Out and Us And it it centres on two ranch-owning siblings in America, played by Daniel Kloia and Kiki Palmer, who are financially struggling after the death of their father, played by Keith David, who was killed from mysterious debris falling from the sky. And after other weird goings-on in the area, the pair come to believe aliens are the culprit and as such attempt to capture evidence of a UFO in a bid to make some money. And helping them on their mission is a young tech salesman, played by Brandon Perea from the OA, and eventually a grizzled cinematographer, played by Michael Wincott.
0: And you're the only person in the world that can get it on film. That cloud, Hey, moved an inch. It's aliens. They're just waiting
1: for the perfect time to shove metal probes up our asses. I'll be rooting for you. I
0: think we pissed them off. Yeah. They, they repainted your house. They're gonna come back. You ready? Huh? We got some work to
1: do. Not it. You nope. Know? I'll get him out. And i the shot. Let's go, baby! Let's go! This movie came out in the US a few weeks before Ireland and got generally very positive reviews. Mm. And um, I think audience reaction to it has been a bit more divisive. Some people I know really loved it. Others I know really didn't. Mm. Me, you, and frequent i know the face guest sean mariarty um saw it together on the friday it came out in the Lighthouse in dublin shout out and i think we we're all a little bit mixed on it i, I think, think you might have liked it a little bit more than me
0: yeah i think i've come around to it the more i've thought about it and sure. I, I think i am going to go see it a second time because it is i think it's well worth seeing in like imax Just especially maybe, for that yeah. climax um or anything involving the aliens really um
1: we should probably say we uh, will we spoil it probably so even though it's out in cinemas now
0: maybe oh yeah um
1: I'm going to probably talk about the ending of the wink call arc, so...
0: Yeah, okay, so, yes. Well, minor spoilers. Minor spoilers, yeah. No. Um, just so everyone's aware.
1: Spoilers only relating to this um, supporting character. Yeah, yes. yeah. Okay.
0: Uh, so I'll go on record. After two viewings, I'm not a re- really a fan of Us, um, and I don't consider it to be a very smart or deep film, despite its thrills. It's too, I think it's too American in its themes, sensibilities, and tone for me to really get inside of. But I think, nope. Is far better, and I think its only major flaw is that the relationships between the lead characters are never properly developed.
1: I'd agree. I, I'll, I'll I'd agree about the characters in nope I love us. I think mm, this is great. Fair enough.
0: We won't get into that right yeah, now. Um, the Tim Heidecker episode. <laughs> Elizabeth Moss. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, who knows? Um, I think this film definitely has like the best epigraph, like opening quote of any film I've seen. In the last any piece of media I've read or watched or played in the last five years, like the, it's just it just said it's just so thematically rich and it just goes hard as hell. When it's you, kind of crazy that it's
1: a quote from the Bible. Yeah,
0: like I will cast abominable filth upon you, make you vile, and make you a spectacle. And it's like, oh Jesus, I know I'm in for something. Yeah. No. Yeah, I, I feel that there's
1: a lot to really admire in Nope. I, I think like, its, its scale is really mm. impressive. It cost nearly 70 million to make. It was made with IMAX cameras. I think those Western-esque shots of the ranch feel very epic. I think the action and horror scenes, for the most part, are really inventive and well-staged. I, I really like the the blood rain attack mm. you know, or the um, um, main scene involving Steven Yoon's character or just the entire finale. Design of the alien creature, for the most part, looks really cool to me. Mm. I also think it's pretty admirable that Peel's made a 70 million blockbuster that makes no effort to try and excise or sanitize the type of kind of social messages his films that I've become known for mm. and um, I think this is a movie that asks viewers to stay alert and keep up with the story and what it's saying in terms of its themes you know and the more viewer is willing to do that um, the more they'll probably get out of it and I think it's a movie that kind of grows in your head after you watch it yeah yeah absolutely um, and i think what nope is saying about spectacle you know about how like people are willing to put themselves through a lot of risk and pain just to be seen and for fame and the movie's kind of probing why do people do that and why society as a whole seems to enjoy watching them do that i think that's very potent and Mm. prescient i will say yeah um it left me a lot colder than get it or us um which were also movies with a big social message just because like i think this is the first one of peel's movies where i think more work went into the themes and the set pieces than to the characters and the dialogue and the kind of a to b plotting mm. um i think kaluya is really good as this hardworking stoic character who struggles to express himself and lacks the kind of showmanship needed to sell his business whereas kiki Palmer gives this really energetic star making performance as her his sister who is less reliable in terms of the work but has the charisma her brother lacks and but I do think that that's kind of all their characters boil down to, and I don't think their scenes together are particularly memorable or have that chemistry together to sell the final act, which is kind of based around how important their bond is. Yeah, because you know?
0: there's the bit, the, the bit um, where they're like high fiving each other. We're like, let's get it, and they're like high fiving each other over and right. over again. But there's no like, how did they, you know, how did they get to that point, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because I've, I've seen some people have criticism about how stoic Danny Cloy's character mm, yeah. is. I actually like it. I just wish that it feels very Irish. It does <laughs> have anything fed up he is yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like um, I would have expected there to be, like, moments where that kind of shield comes down with his sister. And then whenever he does, he seems to not really like
0: her. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, I think it's because uh, they were kind of kept separate, is the read I got from it, in terms of work on the ranch. Not, like, their personal lives.
1: I don't really know anything about their, like... Lives, you never see them like what do they like doing, yeah. <laughs> well, obvious,
0: I think you know, I think Kiki Palmer's character might be a bisexual or a lesbian, they do, I think. They yeah, do yeah, yeah that's ah, that's true. That's really all I know about her life outside. Um, other than, other than that, she wants to be an actor and a but singer, that, that makes a mean grilled cheese, grilled cheese. that's true. That's yeah.
1: <laughs> I just think her, everything about the character that you love is just her energy yeah, as opposed yeah, to the yeah, character. Yeah. That's, That's kind fair, of, yeah. I think there's a lot more meat to the Jupe character put by Stephen Yoon, mm. who is this um, former child star with this horrifying um, experience with a monkey, um, which we see in flashback in a pretty unsettling scene, mm. who winds up as an adult theme park owner kind of repeating the same mistakes um, with an even more dangerous creature. And I, I think Yoon's portrayal of Jupe is fascinating because he projects this sort of nonchalance and coolness you really like him. Yeah. But what he does is so messed up. And yeah. so, as a viewer, you can tell he's incredibly damaged from what happened to him as a boy, but it's like he can't even realize it or suppressing yeah. it. And I think that's a lot more three dimensional than Khloe and Palmer's characters. I think almost the movie should have been about him.
0: Yeah, maybe you're right. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. I also think certain characters in this movie act. Unrealistically to reinforce the themes of the movie, such as a TMZ reporter who shows up in the one of the final scenes
0: of the movie. Yeah, he's more me- he's more like I don't know metaphor than character. That, that was very. I thought
1: that was oddly on
0: the nose for Peel. Uh, well, after us, I didn't think so, but um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, I just thought it was funny, really.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know? I don't know. It didn't really play for me, but but that, that yeah, I need yeah. to go yeah. back. Here. Um, it also this could be just like high expectations ahead of Nos release but um, I found that like Get Out and Us have a bit more of a propulsive energy like kind of Get Out all takes place over weekend Us is like a chase movie mm. once it kicks off and that movie, they all, those movies have like odd music cues, the peel deploys, or the way he'll t- sprinkling humor in a tense moment, or the way he chooses like interesting visual motifs or symbols. Like I'm thinking of the red, the scissors, and the mm. which do make appearance in nope, <laughs> the scissors from us, or the red cloaks in us. And I was surprised at how muted nope often was in that. Like I don't think there's a lot of quippy one-liners or a memorable needle drop. Or I kind of spent a lot of the movie just being like, when is this going to kick into gear? And then occasionally it does, but then that feeling would pass and. I thought that kind of the non-spectacle scenes in Nope were very um, perfunctory.
0: I think it's, um, I know, yeah, I I agree it doesn't have a lot of comedic one-liners or quippy kind of stuff. But I think it has the kind of heavy-handed, dramatic kind of quotes, like its, its opening epigraph. Um, uh, or just stuff said by the characters that I really live for. Like, you know, the bit where he's like, what's a bad miracle? Or stuff like that. Yeah, I love that. Or yeah. Michael, any anything Michael Wincott says. Maybe great. it's just
1: that a lot of this stuff was peppered in trailers that I watched mm. nonstop because the slapping bit that you love is in the trailer, and the bad miracle bits in the trailer. So Maybe they just maybe it was yeah, too much in the market.
0: I, I, I just watched. I watched the trailer once, I think. I watched and it maybe about one hundred times. And maybe I saw it a couple of times in cinemas, yeah. but. Um, yeah just like all the things where he's like talking to uh, Michael Wincott is like talking to um angel and he's like Brandon Pereira's character, and he's like i've got the he's like, I've got the voices of the many in my throat, I've got the legs of a frog and the head of a goat and, he, and angel's like, okay <laughs> <laughs> um yeah,
1: we should get get on top of Wincott yeah. um just so great to see him mm. Is it possible his voice has gotten better with age?
0: Possibly, there, there's it's a, just become base. Yeah, you know? there, yeah, it's just base. Yeah, there's a great bit where um, he's like, um, I think he, uh, he, I think uh, I can't remember what the question Daniel Kelly asks him is, but he's like, you he might, you might say something like, you have worked with horses before, and Michael Wincott is like, f- from far back, like,
1: no, <laughs> and it's really drawn out and long. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think he's awesome in the movie. It's not the biggest role in that his character, the the cinematographer, does. He has one small scene at the top of the movie. That scene um, where we see him working on a commercial ad using Danny Cooley's character OJ's horses. Mm. Um, did you notice who the director of the, that ad was in the in the movie?
0: Oh, I think I read it in the cast, but I forget. It's Oz Perkins, yes, son of Anthony
1: Perkins mm. and claimed director in his own right, mm. uh, you know, Gremlin, Hansel and Blackout Solder. Um, I think he worked on the Twilight Zone with Peel, mm. so that's probably the connection there. But um, I thought he was really funny in the movie. I thought he was actually that scene had a bit of juice where. Um, he he realizes he's stuck with the uncharismatic OJ because Keith David died, and he's like, "Fuck!" <laughs> 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 you know that bit? Uh, but when it cuts in that scene. Um, then about halfway through the movie, OJ and his sister Emerald call host to try and get his help in capturing the end on film, and he turns him down originally. But later, he shows up on the ranch after the,
0: yeah, the, after, uh, the inci- after the major, uh, the major inciting inc- incident yes. of the second act.
1: Yes, and then he's in a lot of the third hmm. and. um I guess what I liked about Wincon Inope is that he's playing this older cinematographer and I don't know about you, but I always figured that to be a cinematographer, you must be a bit of an adventurer and a bit fearless because like it's less stable employment than even a director because you work on multiple projects a year. Mm. They and their crews tend to do a lot of the more hands-on, ground-level work on these projects like yeah. the actual capturing of the footage. And... um that can sometimes take you all over the world to these like jaw-dropping extreme locations and I think the minute Winkos shows up in NOPA as the cinematographer you're immediately like oh yeah
0: man yeah this guy is like this guy is uh, Quint from Jaws (laughs) yes exactly like he's just so gruff you know and um, there's a
1: great variety interview with Hoyt van Hoidemann the actual cinematographer hmm. no. he's also um, Christopher Nolan's regular DP and the interviewer asked uh, Van Hoideman if he felt any kinship with Michael Wincott and his performance and he replied that the black scarf Wincott wears in the film is actually Van Hoidemann's yeah I read that too and that Wincott like shadowed him to prepare to play the part and um, in the interview they asked him like what do you think of his performance and he said he makes cinematographers look good along with cinematographers are scruffy bastards he definitely gives cinematographers a lot of flair yeah that was yeah. very cute yeah um, but, and I think like this is a credit both to Wincott and Peel's writing of the character but despite how serious and tacturn he is he, he, he mostly just says kind of small sentences in a really kind of grizzled manner mm. and this is kind of a want to him. Yeah, did you feel yeah. that
0: yeah I think so Yeah.
1: because you can tell in the opening scene he's so bored shooting the ad but you notice him perk up when Emerald starts talking about her and OJ's great 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 grandfather and how he was the jockey and this famous assembly of photographs from 19, from 1887 that were used to create one of the first motion pictures, you know. Mm. And then later, when Emerald calls him, he says something like, I'm talking to cinema royalty, huh? You know, like, <laughs> and, like, he turns down her offer for him to come to the ranch and capture the on film in that moment because I think he senses that Emerald and OJ are amateurs and he doesn't really believe them. But at first, when she calls him, he seems kind of open to collaborating with her. Mm. He's he's not as dismissive as you think for, like, a hotshot cinematographer to be, you know. Uh, like, I think he says something like, I usually do one for them so I can do something for me. D- I, no, I usually do one for them so I can do something fun for me. And I just did one for them.
0: Right. I like that yeah,
1: line. Yeah. And um, I think he does really care about the craft. And um, I think that when he does show up for the final act, he gets a couple of classic Michael Wincott Formula yeah. line deliveries. His Siegfried and Lord Roy line is pretty good.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, I also like his dramatic reading of the novelty song, The Purple People Eater. Yeah, it's a stand-up yeah. moment.
0: I love the one that is, this dream you're chasing the one where you end up at the top of the mountain it's the one you never wake up from <laughs> um, what did you think of the ending
1: to his character um, it struck me when I was in the moment of watching I was like this is a little left field but thinking about it and I'm like oh no it's actually, yeah, actually
0: settled. I think he's a guy that's kind of lives for the pursuit of perfection or at least capturing kind of the perfect image um, and I think he kind of finds it uh, in a way and um. It's hard to talk about it without spoiling it, but I think maybe for some, the sight of a cosmic creature's gullet being the last thing you see and captured on film is maybe perfection for them.
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I get what you mean. Yeah. yeah. I just thought that
0: it'll be hard. That'll be hard to I think, yeah, process. you haven't seen the movie, but that's all I, I can say about it. Really.
1: I think what he does in the end of the movie is not very rational.
0: No. Yeah. Absolutely but not.
1: Thinking back on it, I think. You can make a read of why he does that, mm. and also it does sort of tie into the themes of the movie. Which yeah, is got the yeah. idea of like I think he wants to have a sort of pure relationship with what he's making and spectacle. Yeah, know? like yeah. He, it's he's another character who has this weird relationship with um, the content he makes. Yeah, and consumes. Yeah. Um, yeah, we don't have to go into much more detail on that. Uh, but I, yeah, I think this is a, a, like a movie of some great highs and a couple of lows and missteps. I'd still urge people to check it out though because it's the, kind of the type of brainy original Hollywood blockbuster that there should be more of yeah. and if you show up with your dollars for this the more like you'll get another Matrix yeah, inception. that's
0: right? true <laughs> and at least two great anime references one on the design Akira. of the alien of the alien in Neon Genesis Evangelion and then the Akira bike slide yes
1: yeah um, yeah we wrapped up there As you yes 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 according to IMDb there are no Wincon screen projects on the horizon but I do hope nope we'll to more yeah fingers crossed you hope for more nope yeah know. Rate and review and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. If you have a friend who's really into movies, why not recommend them our show? Email I know the face, at if you'd like to reach out to us. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you love I know the face, please consider joining 5 year a month to us through HeadStop Plus, where you can find special exclusive bonus episodes. We've multiple available now, including a few in our leading legend series, focusing on high-listers like Brad Pitt. Denzel Washington. Jody Foster and Kristen Stewart. Kristen Stewart. We also just um, recently released like a mini episode just from outtakes from our recent Richard Jenkins episode. That's yep. gonna, That
0: will be live by the time this goes out. Andrew Burke, people find more of your work. You can find me at the stuff Gaming section where we talk about what we play, why we play and how we play it. It's great to be back.
1: <laughs> you can also check me out at Jodie. It's also great to be back.
0: See you on SNFs. Bye bye.